Welcome to the Gospel Ministry of Exchange Church. Thank you for connecting with us for our Bible talk today, and please feel free to share these talks with others as well. It's our desire to connect people to Jesus and grow people in Jesus. To find out more about us, please visit our website, www.exchangechurch.org.au. Um, we have been working through uh, the book of Samuel, uh, had a couple of weeks there now and about to get into our third week. And I've been loving studying the Old Testament, studying what's happening in the book of Samuel and uh, seeing the way God is uh, providing for his people and fulfilling his purposes and his plans. As we begin to think about today, First uh, Samuel chapter 6 and chapter 7, uh, think about this. Have you ever come across that person who, after doing something wrong, seemed to be quite emotional afterwards? And you might be thinking of your kids at this point in time and they've been caught out. Uh, tears and grief, perhaps showing all the signs of remorse. But then they very quickly go back and they just do that same action all over again. Uh, maybe if it's not your children, you could be a, a Hollywood celebrity, you see with them being caught out in an act of being unfaithful to their wife or their partner, they'll have this media conference and they'll show all this stuff but then they'll just go and do it all over again like in a matter of weeks or months later. You know, really what they're sorry about is that they've been caught out, not actually sorry for what they've done. Um, but sorry that they've been caught out and now possibly the consequences they have to go through. Deep down, they're not truly sorry. Well, we're going to see something opposite to, to that today as we think about uh, Samuel. We're going to see the nation of Israel go through some godly sorrow marked by a repentant heart. We're going to see that actually taking place for us there today in 1 Samuel. So if you've got your Bibles, go to chapter 7 and I'm going to read that for us. Hopefully you've read through chapter 6 as well. That actually helps provide the background of what's taking place uh, in this part as well. So chapter 7, starting at verse 1. The men of Kiriath-Jerim came and took up the ark of the Lord and brought it to the house of Abinadab on the hill. And they consecrated his son Eleazar to have charge of the ark of the Lord. From the day that the ark was lodged at Kiriath-Jerim, a long time passed, some 20 years. And all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. And Samuel said to all the house of Israel, If you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtaroth from among you, and direct your heart to the Lord, and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the people of Israel put away the Baals and the Ashtaroth, and they served the Lord only. Then Samuel said, gather Israel, gather all Israel at Mizpah and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered at Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said there, we have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the people of Israel at Mizpah. Now when the Philistines heard that the people of Israel had gathered at Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the people of Israel heard of it, they were afraid of the Philistines. And the people of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. So Samuel took a nursing lamb and offered it up as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. As Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to attack Israel, But the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines and threw them into confusion. 
And they were defeated before Israel. And the men of Israel went out from Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and struck them as far as below Bethkar. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen and called its name Ebenezer. For he said, till now the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued and did not again enter the territory of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. The cities that the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel from Ekron to Gath. And Israel delivered their territories from the hand of the Philistines. There was peace also between Israel and the Amorites. Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life and he went on a circuit year by year to Bethel, Gilgal and Mizpah and he judged Israel in all these places. Then he would return to Ramah for his home was there and there also he judged Israel and there he built an altar to the Lord. Father, thank you. Thank you today that we can come and uh, allow your word to speak into our hearts. And I pray, Lord, help us to see and understand that we today can do nothing apart from you. Jesus, you said that to your disciples. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Lord, apart from you, I cannot stand here today and begin to open up this word. So we ask and pray for your grace to help us now as we think about this passage and about repentance. What it is, Lord, to truly repent and to turn our hearts towards you. Lord, we ask that now in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we are trekking through the book of uh, Samuel. Uh, And just a heads up, um, had a bit of a change this week. The more I looked at the first book of Samuel, we're not going to be able to fit the second book of Samuel in between here and Christmas as well. So we're going to spend our whole time in the first book. There is so much good stuff in Samuel, right? So we're going to spend our whole time in one Samuel. Anyway, we are trekking through the first book of Samuel for God's, uh, seeing God work his provision for his glory for these people. And there's a real turning point here in Samuel as we see Israel begin to humble themselves and acknowledge their desperate need of who God is and how they desperately need him into their life. They will still stumble and fall along the way as we'll see this through the first book of Samuel. But at this point today, they're turning. They're turning and they're turning back towards God. Uh, a, really pitch, a really great picture of God of his incredible patience in our lives as he actually steps this long journey with us uh, in our sort of stumbling and falling before him. But he's always... He's always working perfectly according to his timelines and purposes and for the good of our lives. Let's retrace these steps a little bit, though, what we've seen in Samuel so far. Samuel is born to Hannah, a barren wife, and he's been dedicated to the Lord. We saw that in the early chapters. That's something we do here at Exchange, is is dedicate newborn children as a gift from God, and we want to see them used for God's purposes. So if you're thinking about that, please come and see We'd love to do that. So Samuel's been dedicated from a barren wife called Hannah. Uh, A leadership crisis has also been exposed at the very top of Israel's uh, spiritual leadership. We looked at that last week. Uh, This spiritual leadership was leading Israel down a path of corruption and falling away from the Lord who'd rescued them. It was just a complete disaster. Uh, The Ark of God, uh, they actually... the which is a picture of the spiritual leadership fail, they actually thought they could take the ark out into the battlefield and use that like as a good luck charm. We saw that last week. Uh, the Philistines captured the ark. Uh, they, that was, you know, God's not going to be used as some sort of weapon by their own whims, as in Israel. So this, the Philistines captured the ark. They experienced the judgment of God through chapter 6, if you, if you had read through that. Uh, God sends upon them all sorts of tumours, maybe cancerous type things, because they were just um, treating God with contempt in the, in the Philistine land. Um, they send the ark back to Israel because they can't handle it because it's doing all this grief there. 
uh, at the Israel rejoices now the ark has come back you see this towards the the, the latter end of chapter 6 it's like their good luck charm has come back home again they feel like they're, they're on top of things uh, a bunch of guys from uh, uh, Beth Shemesh is where the ark lands from the Philistines they have a bit of a sneak peek inside the ark and have a look what's inside there because it's, it's the holy uh, ark they're not supposed to do that and God's order it's the Levites who are actually supposed to handle the ark or do anything like that so they just disregarded God's commands if you read that there you'll see actually God reacts very swiftly and he kills about 70 of these people for just having a little sneak peek inside the ark they actually just disregarded God's holy uh, order there at that time the men of Beth Shemesh then they tell the others of Kiri that you you come and get this ark because we we can't really handle it here they do so and they bring it back to Abinadab's house that could be a good name for the next newborn coming along Abinadab Uh, they bring it back to his house and that's where we find ourselves at the start of chapter 7 today in this first book of Samuel from this point here's where we're going to head true repentance true repentance as an act of God's grace means turning away and separating ourselves from sin and then turning towards God with a whole heart. That's what true biblical repentance is going to look like. And we're going to see that here through this chapter today as we, as we step through that. Okay, let's pick it up now. Uh, the story in chapter 7. There's probably a 20-year gap between verses 1 and verses 2. We just sort of read through it in a matter of seconds. But the 20 years has taken place between those two verses. The Ark of God has rested in Abinadab's home for this 20-year period. And if you look there at the end of verse 2, there's some sort of an emotional response here by Israel towards the Lord. It says there, all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. Okay, something's happened in the hearts of these people of Israel here. They're lamenting, they're actually grieving something, they're mourning something. Maybe, I don't know, but maybe the events of 20 years ago have finally sunk in. It could be like, what the heck were we thinking 20 years ago? Why do we even contemplate sending the ark out? And the ark was meant to remain in the tabernacle. Why would we ever consider? Maybe some of those things. Maybe the last twenty years of living, the Lord's been slowly working on them, and they're beginning to realise how far we've departed from the Lord. And there's a sense of lament. There's a sense of mourning. There's a sense of grieving now of this separation that they've brought themselves away from God, mourning their helpless and hopeless position. We've left the Lord behind. Sometimes it does take 20 years in some people's lives to actually realise that. Anyway, it has. It's taken place and there's possibly tears of grief flowing here. Then Samuel reappears back into this book. We haven't seen him since about chapter 3. There's been a long absence there. But all of a sudden Samuel appears back into this book again and he senses there's a change of heart here with Israel. So he says this in verse 3. And Samuel said to all the house of Israel, if you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtaroth from among you. I'm not sure Samuel's convinced here about the Israelites at this particular stage. He says there, if, if you are. Now, really important point, there's no incidental words in the Bible. Every word is carefully placed there by God's Spirit. If you're, maybe he's seen the way they've been living over the last 20 years and he's not convinced about this position here and this changed heart. He's saying, if this is genuine repentance, if this is genuine, this is what you must do. 
Put away the foreign gods, he says, amongst you. In other words, turn. Turn away from your sinful ways. Turn from that. Don't go back to it. Now, if we followed the life of Israel through the book of Judges, and now these early chapters of 1 Samuel, you'll see here they've lived what is called a double life, which really is no life at all. When I say a double life, it's this. They've paid lip service to who God is. They've been trying to, you know, every now and again, they'll talk about God on occasions, and they might go to the, the tabernacle and make some sacrifices. When really the God that Israel has served has been the false Canaanite gods of the Baals and the Ashtaroth in the culture around about them. So they try to live this double life. We call it like syncretism, synchronising you know, their own sort of religion with the religion of the world around about them. They've simply done this. They've added, adapted themselves to the world around about them and fallen in line with the culture of the day, with the people they were living with. That's who truly they were serving and living for. A bit like whatever the world does, will do. They seem to be having a good time and enjoying themselves. So we'll go after the same things they're going after. Back then it was the gods of Baals and Ashtoreth. Today it could be the gods of pleasure. It could be the gods of uh, wealth. It could be the gods of power. Whatever it's working for you, well then we'll go after the same thing. That's how it was. But Samuel says, no. No, that'll never do, Samuel says. You cannot have the world and its broken ways in one pocket of your life and you cannot try and keep God in the other pocket as a ticket to heaven. You can't keep both. It's just not going to work. Samuel says, no, that's not going to be how it is. That'll never do, says Samuel. True repentance, true repentance means a complete change of mind and heart. A complete change of mind. True repentance means a complete change of direction in heart and in mind. When we think about what the Bible refers to when it talks about repentance, it's a complete change. It's not a partial change. It's a complete change. And this first part of change, repentant change, is this. It's actually turning away from something. And in this case, it's turning away from sin. This is what Samuel is now calling Israel to. You need to turn away from these false gods that you've been serving. And this is what true gospel repentance is. When the Holy Spirit comes upon us and awakens the gospel upon our hearts, we actually see the weight of our sin and its offence towards God. If that's truly been happening, we actually get this weight of sin and this weight of offence before God. We are given a new heart when we are born again in the, the process of conversion. And this new heart that we receive from God, actually, it repels now from sin. It's not drawn to sin. It actually begins to repel from sin. We have this tender heart now that wants to sin no longer. It doesn't want to do that anymore. We have this new nature now that is wanting to pursue holiness and right living. But it's turning away from something, turning away from sin. Now, a very good sign of being born again is that desire to now want to push back push back against sinful tendencies or sinful desires in our hearts. We engage in this battle of competing desires in our minds. We still have, even though we're born again and believers in Jesus, we still have the old man, these sinful nature, the sinful desires still wrestling, as it were, inside of our mind. Our old mind still wants to go down the pathway of sinful choices. 
But at the same time now, because we've had this new heart given to us, this newness of mind says, no, I don't want to go down that pathway. I want to push back against sinful desires. I want to resist that. A newness of mind says, I'm not going to act on those same sex desires. They might come to some people, and I don't doubt they do, but I'm not going to act upon them. A new uh, uh, nature will say this, I'm not going to act on those jealous thoughts that still rise up in my mind. I'm not going to act on them. I'm going to put them to death. Or I'm not going to act in anger. My old man still wants to get angry, but I'm not going to act on that now because I'm actually turning away from sin. I'm leaving that behind. This is the first part of true repentance. It's actually, it's turning away from sin and leaving that behind. Secondly, Samuel says here, if you're genuine, if you're genuine here about the Lord, not only will you turn from sin, but you'll turn towards something else. And in this case, you'll actually turn towards the Lord. Look again in verse 3. Turn away from the gods, the Baals and the Astaroth, and now direct your heart in another direction. To the Lord and serve him only. So we're beginning to see this picture here that Samuel's outlining for us in repentance. It's like a 180 degree turn. Okay, we're turning from that direction and we're turning right around to this direction. It's like you're on a highway and you're doing a U-turn. On this highway you are driving the car of life and it's all about your terms of ignorance and arrogance towards the Lord and life is all about you and in actual fact on that highway you are driving away from God as fast as you can. You may not think you are but that's exactly what you are doing when you're not living for the Lord. You are driving down that highway as fast as you can. But in repentance, as the Spirit awakens our heart, it's like we stop the car. Driving away from God, we turn the car around and now we turn back and we drive towards God and want to live in his way. It's a complete turn from sin to God. This is the second element here of true repentance, turning towards God. With the new heart that God gives us, we are given a new nature now, desiring holiness and right living. God's nature has been imprinted upon us. His spirit lives inside of us. His Holy Spirit lives inside of us. And at conversion now, he leads us to live rightly. And this is precisely why we have this battle in our minds. Because of God's transforming grace given to us, our hearts are beginning to be directed down this pathway living right way. But prior to that, when we weren't a believer, there is next to no resistance to those desires, those sinful desires. Or that you might have had a little bit of a squeak in your conscience early on, but very quickly we can drown our conscience out when we're not a believer. We just push past those things. Like you tell somebody when they tell their first lie, they can feel like they're doing something wrong. There's something saying they're wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong. But you can drown that voice out after a while. So to the point where there's no resistance, you just sin. You just break God's laws. You just do what you like. But when you're a believer now, the spirit of God residing within you, you, you have this wrestle. You have this fight. You have this sort of battle that's going on. And that's another sign here of true repentance, that you're wrestling with these desires in a really, in a Godward fashion and, and pointing yourself towards God's ways and pursuing that life. Now, it's not a divided heart here as well. And when I say divided heart, we can't have a bet each way. 
bit like I said there before with, with, with the pocket thing, but actually um, Samuel says it real clear here. At the end of verse 3, he says, Direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only. There's no incidental words in the Bible. They're all placed there by God's Spirit to tell us something. You can't serve both. Expect a wrestle in doing this. Don't for a moment think that you can serve or live for both, both this world's ways and God's ways. If you, if you think you can, you'll end up living in ongoing guilt and shame. You, if, if you've got God's Spirit residing within you and you're still trying to pursue the things of the world... You'll keep end up feeling guilty or shameful because you'll keep tripping up and you'll keep leaning towards the world. And in actual fact, this is what will happen. You can't serve two masters and ultimately, if you choose the pathway of both, you'll fall down the pathway of the world and you'll end up riddled with guilt and with shame. Samuel says, serve the Lord only. There is no one else to serve. Was Israel sincere? I reckon they were. Have a look in verse 4. Verse 4 tells us that their repentance was real. It says here, So the people of Israel put away the Baals and the Ashtaroth, and they served the Lord only. The narrator's actually picking up the, the people of Israel. That's what they did. They wholeheartedly at this time pushed away the false gods they've been serving, and they truly served the Lord only. What does this show us here? This shows us here that their repentant hearts were demonstrated by actions. You've heard that saying before, actions speak louder than words. Well, there was something here that they were doing in an action that was demonstrating this repentance. It wasn't just words alone, giving lip service to God again. They physically put away the bales and the astral, whatever their um, things were in that direction. True gospel repentance will always result in actions. Something visible will be seen here as a change of heart that reflects out through my change of life to say something has taken place. The Holy Spirit has done a work in my heart. It's changing the way I live. Now, if you go to Acts chapter 19, you'll see the Ephesians there under the preaching of Paul. They burned all their sorcery books in their magic books, in their witchcraft books. Actually, something said, no, we're not going to deal with this stuff any longer. We're going to put this in a pile and burn it. Now, I can remember as a teenager... Going through this, probably my late teens, you sort of dabble in a bit of, you know, not so good music, and um, you sit under some good gospel preaching, oh, I'm going to get rid of it. Now, back in that day, we had to take it out and either get a shotgun and have a bit of fun shooting holes and things, or burn it, but we did. We made a call. We said, we're not going to sit under that stuff any longer. Now, today, as teenagers, you're probably not going to have to burn it. You're probably going to have to take it off your hard drive, or take it, you know, you don't sort of get the physical stuff anymore but hey thank the lord if the holy spirit convicts you of what you're watching on movies or what you're listening to in music get rid of it that's a really good sign of repentance and actually working through that uh, with the lord true gospel repentance here always turns towards the lord with gladness and keeps walking down that pathway of obedience of uh, honoring god with this new life that he's given to us Let's think about what's happening in the story here and think about God. God is filled with an endless supply of grace and grants us his very precious promises of his provision for us. God's providing. That's what we're saying here about uh, 1 Samuel. And he does so here again with the, with the Israelites in verse 3. Have a look in verse 3 again towards the end. Turn away from the 
false gods, turn towards the Lord. And what does he say then? And he will deliver you from the Philistines. If you turn from your sinful ways and you turn towards the Lord, so you do that 180 degree turn, he will deliver you from your enemies, which are the Philistines on that particular day. What are these? Uh, These are the conditions of receiving God's grace through his promises. The conditions. If you don't turn from sin and you don't turn towards the Lord, then you won't receive his deliverance. There's conditions for that. Now let me just put the handbrake on the car right there for a moment. Don't think that we earn or we deserve his deliverance. Don't think that we've got to do these things and somehow then God is say, okay, you've done this, you've earned something now, now I will deliver you. There's a, there's a difference here and a real distinction between the two. One is the conditions of receiving something and the other is, well, I've earned it, I've deserved it now. They're very different. We don't earn, we don't deserve. These are the conditions of receiving God's grace. If we don't do those things, well, then God won't give that to us because we're not putting ourselves in a place to receive that grace for us at that time. Okay, so there's a distinction. We don't earn, we don't deserve. We're given it freely, but there's conditions upon receiving that. But what a beautiful promise that God gives here to the Israelites at that time. He will deliver us from our enemies. Now, it takes faith to believe that. It takes faith to actually work out that repentance as well and then to receive that deliverance. And this newfound repentance and faith here of the Israelites was tested immediately. Tested immediately. Samuel gathers the nation of Israel for a national day of mourning or a national day of confession and mourning of their sins. He's going to make a big thing out of this. This is such a radical change in the nation of Israel. He's going to gather them all together. And again, that's another necessary element of repentance as well. It is the confession of our sins, that we need to confess our sins before the Lord. Some people struggle with this at times. Why? I mean, do I have to get saved again? Is that why we've got to confess? I tell you, here's why we confess. We confess because it actually humbles our heart to understand that we are broken people and we need the Lord moment by moment in our lives. When we do something wrong, we should confess that. Actually, it humbles us before the Lord. We're not not confessing again to get saved again by no means. When we're saved, we are saved. But it keeps a humble heart and a clear conscience before the Lord. So it's a good thing what Samuel's doing here. And they're actually gathering for this national day of mourning. So they do. In verses 5 and 6, they gather for this very solemn occasion here. I can imagine what was going on. Verse 7, though, the Philistines have heard that the Israelites are gathering. So they think, here's our chance to assert our dominance here and strike a powerful blow against these Israelites. They've been sort of just waxing and waning a bit over the last 20 years, but here's our chance, guys. We can do this. Israel gets wind of what the Philistines are doing. They hear that they're mounting all their troops and they're coming to Mizpah where they're having this national day morning because they're thinking, we're all in one place, they can take us all out right now. They are filled with fear and panic, the Israelites. Because they are fearsome warriors, these Philistines. It's happening right before their very eyes on this national day of mourning. They cry out to Samuel. They say, Samuel, please will you cry out to the Lord that he will save us, otherwise we are cooked. Samuel, please don't cease to pray to the Lord that we'll be saved today. 
It's a spectacular story when you think about it, isn't it? When you see what's actually happening here, you think, shouldn't it all just work out like a, you know, beer and Skittles now, like you know, chocolates and roses? It's not quite working out like that for the Israelites at this time. The Philistines are marching towards Israel and they are within striking distance. Now, they're probably about 15 or 20 miles apart as it were, but now they've been marching for a day or so and they're, they're visible to the Israelites as they've gathered together in Mizpah and they know they're coming with all their weapons to take them out. They are filled with fear and panic. They can nearly see the, as it were, the fire in the eyes of these Philistines at this particular time. They are gripped by fear. Sometimes God will allow our repentance and our faith to be tested, tested to purify ourselves and to be strengthened by that. The Lord knows exactly what to do in our lives. He knows exactly how even to reveal our hearts to us, perhaps if they're filling with pride at times. He'll allow circumstances to come along just to begin to strip us bare a bit and understand, I'm not as strong as I thought I was. And he tests our faith, but he purifies our faith and he grows our faith through that. Look in verse 10. As Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to attack Israel, but the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines and threw them into confusion and they were defeated before Israel. What did the Lord do? Some mighty explosion in the sky above them. Maybe some massive thunderclap just roared in the heavens above the Philistines. A very definite sign things were not going to go well for them that day. What had happened? The Lord intervened and he delivered Israel sent the Philistines into absolute chaos and confusion. They ran for their lives and now Israel got their confidence up in, in God's deliverance and they chased down these Philistines and routed them. The enemy that had been so oppressive for so many years on this day of deliverance, they now were able to turn that around. And here's something really fascinating as we think about that. Let's go back to Hannah's prayer in chapter 2 verse 10 and just see what Hannah prayed there. Have a look at this with me. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Okay? How's that going to happen? Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Isn't that powerful? Hannah's prayed this maybe 20 years or more beforehand. The Lord will thunder from heaven to defeat his enemies. What does God do? He thunders from heaven. What a glorious God. What a wonderful saving God who delivers us from enemies. He fulfills his promises and delivers his people from their enemies. He doesn't fail to provide what they need. What a glorious demonstration of God's saving power on that particular day. True repentance, gospel repentance is a wonderful gift that God gives to us. It's a glorious gift that he gives to us. You see, because we will never truly repent unless God first comes to us to direct our hearts towards him. It's a gift that comes from God. Have a look here at what it says in 2 Timothy, as Paul is talking about this to Timothy. He says this, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. 
It's a gift that God gives to us to be able to repent. God may perhaps grant them repentance. See, the gospel of repentance is God's way of delivering us from the chains of Satan and the chains of our broken living. What's it say there at the end of verse 26? And they may come to their senses and escape through repentance as God works in our life from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. It's it's a beautiful gift that God gives to us that works in and through us through his spirit. God enables that and works that for us. Don't expect an easy time of this though in the work of repentance, in the life of repentance. And don't think also that it's a one-off thing. Do I, just, do I just do that once when I'm born again? or Is that it? I mean, I've repented and finished, done? No, no, no. It's, it's actually lifelong in repentance. Uh, when Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the door of the Wittenberg Castle, his first theses, his first point was this. When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, he intended that the entire life of believers should be repentance. It's not once, there's a definite once initially, but then it's a life of repentance. It's a life of continually turning towards the Lord. Because I said before, that that battle starts within us, engages within our hearts, and within our minds. We want to to sometimes get drawn back to it. But no, it's a life of repentance. But here's the beautiful thing about that. We do this with the precious promise of God's help, living and residing within us. It's the power that he gives that we now enact out through the presence of his Holy Spirit. And this life of repentance is marked by a growing relationship of love with Jesus at the same time. As we repent, the love of Christ grows in our heart. When we're using that grace that God gives and we are fighting against sin and we're turning away from sin and making our direction towards the Lord, uh, we enjoy this clear conscience before the Lord at the very same time. And when you begin to enjoy that, this life of repentance, we experience a very deeper awareness of who God is and a deeper sweetness of who God is and his love and presence living in our lives. If you don't live in repentance, if you choose to sort of keep falling back to the world and walking, you'll actually experience guilt and shame. But in, in repentance, you'll experience God's love and his joy and his peace. That's what God gives to us in that deliverance. As we wrap this up there, here's where repentance starts. Here's where it starts. Israel was in a broken, desperate time. They'd left God behind for not only 20 years, but the previous probably 200 years before that as well. What does God do? God in his mercy, God in his mercy raises up a man in Samuel to lead this nation back to repentance, back to the Lord, to turn from sin. Samuel intercedes for them on this national day of mourning with the enemy within sight, and God delivers miraculously. And they see this glorious picture of God working to save them and to deliver them. We... We are no different to Israel today. We, if we're outside of Christ, had at one time left God behind. God wasn't part of our lives. And maybe that could be you today. You still not haven't crossed that line yet at this point in time. We're just like Israel. We're no different to Israel. But what does God do? God then sends another man, a greater Samuel. 
God sends Jesus Christ to lead us back to repentance. Jesus makes this ultimate repentance, uh, repentance possible because he fights the greatest Philistine that we could possibly ever face. What does Jesus do? Jesus defeats our biggest enemy at the cross by his death on that cross for our sins. That's our biggest enemy that we could ever face, is our sin and our death. Jesus takes this Philistine upon himself at the cross, gets our forgiveness, and now calls us into this life of repentance, living for him in the power that he gives. Jesus crushes that Philistine in our place so that now through his death on the cross and walking in newness of life, we can live guilt-free. We can live with no more condemnation. We also can walk in the promises of God that he will deliver us from all our enemies, whoever they may be, whatever they might form or shape they might take in this world. And ultimately we can be with with our great saviour, Jesus Christ in heaven. That's where repentance starts. It starts at the cross. And we can move forward from that in that life of knowing Christ and knowing his transforming grace within us. Repentance and faith. Thank you, Jesus, for that gift. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you today that we can uh, again see what you're doing in the life of Israel. We can see ourselves in the life of Israel, Lord. But we can see your grace working through that situation. For decades, for centuries, Lord, they're living in this um, sort of swinging, vacillating way of life. But Lord, there's a definite turn there today in Israel. And we know that they may stumble and fall coming into the future. But we thank you for what you've demonstrated there for us, Lord, to turn away from sin. To turn towards the Lord. To do this in repentance and then to know your glorious deliverance for us. Knowing today, Lord, that you have taken the greatest Philistine that we will ever face in our own sin and death, and you've defeated that in our place. Help us today, Holy Spirit. Help us to engage in this uh, work of repentance and to do this with the glad and precious promise that you step every day with us, Lord. Help us with those struggles. Help us with those battles to cling hold to those promises. And to know what it is, Lord, to have that power of your grace working in our hearts and lives. Father, we ask that we pray that now in Jesus' name. Amen. We trust you have enjoyed our Bible talk from today. If you have any questions or comments from today's talk, please feel free to contact us at info at exchangechurch.org.au. Also, we love to welcome new people at Exchange Church in person. So consider yourself invited to be with us.